Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. We're going to be continuing our study in Philippians. Uh, If you have one of the story Bibles, you can flip to page 817. In the months before September 11th, the CIA intercepted some intelligence. They had an idea that Osama bin Laden would uh, would have an attack on our homeland. They didn't know all the details, but they had an idea that something was going to happen. Well, there was a bit of a problem because we had a policy in place at, at that time that the CIA and the FBI, the body that would you know, actually handle a threat coming on the homeland at the time, they didn't communicate very well. They didn't notify one another of things they had found out about. So the CIA had this bit of intelligence, and they reported it up the chain that they were supposed to, but there was no direct communication about, hey, there's this threat with the FBI. Now, later on, after September 11th would happen, through different reports, that would be one of the major bits of criticism that the government would receive. And through that criticism, you have now those bodies communicate a lot better. You have the Department of Homeland Security, and now they're encouraged to communicate. They're encouraged to share information. But up until that point, they hadn't. Why on earth would I be sharing that with you this morning? Why would we be talking about a terrorist attack September 11th, something terrible, and we're a church in Ocala, Florida? The reason is that as a body, we're called not only to unity, which we've been studying about through Philippians, not only through progressing the gospel in the community, which we've been studying through Philippians, but we're also called as a body to defend the body, to look out for attacks that would come upon the body, and to communicate with one another, to be vigilant in that, to keep things that would harm the body away. To beware, to look out, you'll see as we unpack this a little bit later. Had the CIA and the FBI been unified? We don't know what would have happened. But many within those bodies believe that they could have either deterred 9-11 or at the very least, it would have been different. That's something, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But what can we learn from that as a body today? How can we be vigilant, meaning looking out aggressively, keeping an eye out on what's going on in our unity? Because unity has been our buzzword, right? That's what we've been talking a lot about. The key principle is that unity in the knowledge of Christ requires vigilance by the body. Now, let's unpack that. What is unity? We talked about it with the kids just a moment ago. We're going to talk a lot this morning. What's what's unity? Togetherness, okay? Being a part of something, teamwork, right? To be locked in, in place with each other, right? So as a body, are we unified? That's what we've been talking about through these last few weeks in Philippians. What is the knowledge of Christ? What's that, Michelle? 
You believe? Okay, but what, what do you believe about Christ? The gospel. Absolutely, right? So, so we're united. Okay, so let's, let's make sure we understand this, right? We're united in the knowledge of Christ, right? Who Christ is, what he has done, and what he will do. And being united in that requires vigilance by us, okay? That's the next step. Because here's the thing. A lot of people want to take away what Christ has done. They want to diminish it. Remember some of the history of what we're talking about here with Philippians, and then we also did it in Thessalonians, that whole idea of the Judaizers, right? Do you guys remember that term? That was the group of people that were going around from church to church, and they were saying, yes, Jesus was the Son of God. Yes, he was Messiah. Yes, he died and he rose again. That's all great, and he saved us, and that's awesome. But you must also follow the Jewish laws and regulations, even though you're not Jewish. You must also be circumcised. That's what they were going around from church body to church body saying in all these different cities. What they were doing is they were trying to add to the gospel. And you can't. Jesus is. He died. He led a sinless life. He died. He was resurrected. And he will return. That is how we are saved. You are not saved through your works. Nothing you can do adds on to salvation. Salvation plus nothing equals salvation. Right? So that was the problem that Paul was dealing with, and that's what a majority of the New Testament scriptures are dealing with. He's writing these letters to these churches, and he's not there. And he's dealing with these people saying, hey, yes, Jesus is God, but you have to follow these rules. To be at one, to have atonement with God, you have to also do X, Y, and Z. And Paul is saying over and over and over again, you don't. Jesus was the sacrifice that paid for all sins. You now have atonement with God. You are one with God. Doesn't mean you don't follow God, right? Of course, we, we know about that. But the idea of being saved through anything other than Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and promised return is ridiculous. It's Christ. So back to our big idea, because I know this is heavy, but we're going to get there. Unity in the knowledge of Christ. So the knowledge of Christ, we know what that is. To be unified in that requires that we as a body look out for things that would pull us away from that. That would pull us away from the knowledge of who Jesus is, what he has done, and the sufficiency of that. There's nothing else needed. He did it all. Anything that would pull away from that, we as a body need to be vigilant against. We need to pay attention to. And that's what Paul's talking about in these verses. So, what do you guys say we actually read it? Sound good? Sound good? All right, cool. All right, cool. So, uh, verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. We're going to go through verse 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, 
blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteous from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so we're going to unpack that, but let's make sure we understand where he's going, right? So he's been talking about unity. He's been encouraging them. He's been pulling them along. And now he gets to this place where he says, watch out for these evildoers. Watch out for these dogs. Watch out for these people who are trying to pervert the gospel, who are trying to make it about the flesh, not about the spirit of God. And he lays out some ways that we as a body can do that. So make sure we understand how we're going to view this, right? So we as a body, how do we do what he's asked us to do? Starts in verse 1 with celebration. Right? You see it. He said, rejoice in the Lord. He said, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Why do we need to be reminded to rejoice? Yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, there's always something. There's always something just picking at me, frustrating me. What is rejoicing in the Lord? What does that mean? Focus on him, right? Rejoicing in Christ. It's finding joy in Christ. And what it does is it affords the believer confidence in our call. How often do you wake up in the morning and you think, okay, uh, I, I got to follow God today. Oh, man, I uh, got to go to work. Um, got to not screw up. Got to not sin. Got to not cuss. Got to not uh, talk, not laugh at that joke. I got to do this. I got to uh, do you like that? I mean, would you like to hang out with that person? Probably not, right? Rejoice in God. Wake up in the morning and go, hey, I was dead and I'm alive now. Jesus paid for my sin. I can walk into my workplace today and it's not about what I'm not going to do. It's about actually rejoicing in God. And finding my assurance in Christ, what it does is it affords me confidence to go. It actually gives me the ability to confidently walk into my workplace, in, into my retirement place. It, it's, it, that's what it's about. Paul knew the trials that they were facing, and Paul knew that they were only the beginning. He wanted to encourage them to take the next step of faith together. Because remember what's happening, right? This is the beginning. This is like in the 50s. Okay, so it's about 20 years after Jesus. The persecution is about to ramp up. We're talking now when people are going to be killed. We're not quite there yet, but it's coming. We knew, Paul knew that. Okay, persecution is going to get worse now. So let me encourage you with what you're having to deal with with these Judaizers to rejoice in God. The first step is actually to be excited about the God who saved you. Can we do that? Pastor Todd says, that which we celebrate, we attribute value to. What we celebrate we find value in. Why do we celebrate birthdays? 
Yeah, why, why do we celebrate anniversaries? Marriage is awesome, okay? Graduations. Camille, why, why do we celebrate your graduation? And by we, I mean everybody with me, because I was working. I'm sorry. Because it's important? Yeah, it's an achievement, right? It's celebrating. It's going, you know what? Good stinking job. That's awesome, okay? Birthdays are like, hey, you made it another year. That kind of happens for most of us. Graduation's awesome, right? Camille, that's awesome. That's good stuff. Celebrating that stuff. Why do we not celebrate God saving us? Right? Why do we not? Here's a better question. How do we as a body? Here's your pop quiz. How do we as a body celebrate God saving us? What's that? In, in church, we have our worship gatherings. That's absolutely a way, right? We come together. We celebrate Jesus' work. That's absolutely one of them. There's a couple more. We have what? What do we have, Miss Deb? We have a big meal. What do we call that big meal? A feast, right? And what do we do? Yeah. And, and we, we have a great meal. We hang out together. And there's, there's three kind of pieces of that. Some of you guys have been to it. Some of you haven't. That's totally cool. But that's a way that we celebrate God. We celebrate three components of Jesus in that meal, can anybody name them? The bread and the cup, right? Foot washing. And the love feast. And what do those represent? Communion, okay? Past, present, and future ministry of Christ. Okay? We celebrate Jesus together by having that meal, by foot washing, which is kind of crazy, right? I mean, it's biblical, but I don't, you know, nobody really wants to wash each other's feet, generally. It's kind of cool, though. And we have the bread and the cup, right? It's a way that we celebrate Christ. What's another way we celebrate Christ as a body? Baptism? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking one more that we do more regularly involves our computers. Prayer line. We connect with one another, and we celebrate what God has done through our prayer requests and through seeing what God is doing. So do me a favor. Step back for a second and think, we as a very small body in Grace Church of Ocala, do we celebrate Christ? We do, right? We do a pretty good job of celebrating Jesus. Do we do a good job of taking that celebration into the community? That's, I'm not asking for an answer from you. I'm asking you to think about that. How do we take that celebration that we have, and how does the community see it? Paul is calling them to celebrate what God is doing, and that's how it begins. So the question I have is, how, do you, how did you celebrate Christ this week? How did you do it? Did you celebrate it with somebody? Did you celebrate it just by yourself with you and God? Did you share what was happening in your life, what God was showing you? Are we actually as a body doing this? Because here's the thing, we are. But can we do more? Because that celebration affords us the confidence to step further. We rejoice and then we move forward. Now that's just the first verse. Paul then goes on into what I call the lookout principle, right? This is going to frame everything else. It's that believers are called to keep a watchful eye on those that would divide the body. The same is true for those that would teach falsities. Right? Look at what he says here in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
Okay, anybody, when I read dogs, you were like, why has Paul got a beef with dogs? Why is Paul upset with dogs? Go, yeah. Well, it's a very bad name. Paul, it's like literally, it's probably, think of like one of the top three or four worst things you can call somebody. That's what Paul's calling them. Watch out for the dogs. It means worthless. It means, uh, yeah, just all kinds of terrible, quite frankly. Unclean, contentious, troublesome, disturbing. The same term is used in Revelation 22 when everything's kind of coming to an end and you're talking about just the worthless that, that they're there. The dogs. So in the ancient times, think like coyotes, right? They would run around in packs, and they didn't always have masters. So a dog would show up, and like it would eat like your your livestock. Okay, this is like the Velociraptor of its time, right? Dogs are terrible. Paul begins with that. Watch out for the dogs, the mangy, the worthless, the troublesome. Keep an eye out for those. Then he transitions to evildoers, which has a similar connotation, but also means wicked, terrible, of no value. Then he closes it off with mutilators. Did that throw anybody for a loop? What does mutilate mean? What's that? To tear them up? Yeah. To cut, right? To cut away, to maim, to destroy? Why would Paul use the term mutilator? Were these people going around cutting people up? Remember the circumcision. See it? See what Paul's doing here? It's really cool. Really cool. So what Paul's saying is, you, as a Gentile believer, okay, you're not circumcised. They're coming in saying, great, you have Jesus. You want to be saved, you better be circumcised too. And Paul is calling them a mutilator. They're maiming. They're cutting away. Terrible. What he's saying is they're trying to add on to the gospel. Watch out for them because the gospel is Jesus. And what Jesus has done, you don't have to add on anything to it. Some of your translations will say the false circumcision. Paul was warning them of who to look out for. So why is it that the military have people on lookout or on patrol, or what's the point of that? Right. It's, yeah, it's absolutely what, what you think it is. They're, they're looking out. They're watching out for an oncoming enemy. They're making sure they know what's coming. Okay? And what Paul is saying to the believers in Philippi is be on the lookout because they're coming. They are coming. They are trying to divide the body. They are trying to pervert the gospel. Keep an eye out for this. So how does that work out within our local body? Do we have people come in that are saying, hey, you better be circumcised? Is that happening? No. What is? How are people perverting the gospel today? Oh, what's that? A lot of ways, right? I mean, pick, pick one of the, you know, your five favorite, right? I mean, uh, you have prosperity gospel, right? Come to know Christ and everything's great. Your bills are paid and everybody loves you, right? Is that perversion of the gospel? It absolutely is. Well, what are some other ways? 
Yeah, there's, there's a lot. But what I hear a lot of is, you just got to be a good person. I'm a pretty good person. How many of you guys have had that conversation with someone? Like, I've been the person on the other end of that conversation where you're just like, no, no, I'm a pretty good person. That's all I got to be. I think I'm pretty awesome. Any God that says that I, you know, wouldn't have a life where, like, I'd go to hell, that God's terrible. I've been that guy. There are ways that the gospel is perverted. And what it's all doing is it's taking the central thing, which is Jesus, and tweaking what he's done, not attributing what he's done with any value, that he did not live a sinless life die, rose from the dead, and is coming back. Taking away from it all. And what what Paul says is to be on the lookout. So we as a body, if there's someone that would divide, right? If we're going to have division within the body, we need to interact with one another. And we've had those issues where we've talked with people and offered reconciliation and dealt with that stuff together with this group that's happened. This body, years ago, went through a lot of that. That's partly what led to this body calling Sebring six to seven years ago. And now we're relaunching the church. We're two years in, and we're seeing what God is doing. through The division and through all that stuff. We as a family, a body of believers coming together, when someone is being knuckleheaded, we're going to pull the person aside. We're going to talk to you. And you're going to talk to me because I can be knuckleheaded all the time. So what we're called to do. We're a family. Be on the lookout for that stuff. Any, anything that would take away from the work God has called us to do within our body, we've got to keep an eye out for. Again, he doesn't stop there, though. He keeps going. In verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What he's saying is, is we're the real deal. Right? The authentic follower of Christ places their confidence in Christ not in their own work. So notice the distinction. The others are placing their confidence in their own work, their own actions, not in what Christ has done. Our confidence is in the true circumcision, which is Jesus. The circumcision act was something that God set aside for the Jewish people so that people would know that they are set aside, they are holy, they are my people. God, when he inhabits our life, The stamp he puts on us is the Holy Spirit. We talked about it last week, right? The Holy Spirit is the signature of God on the life of a believer. Paul really bears this idea out of this contrast between the Philippian believers and those that would claim to be. Have any of you guys ever had a Bubba Cola? No? Really? Nobody? Bubba Cola? All right. For my, my childhood, I guess. Um, it's terrible. It's not good. It, um, I, had, I had cousins who, like, you know, you have those, like, family get-togethers, and then you have the people who bring the stuff that you want to eat and you want to drink, and you have the people who don't necessarily. Well, I had these cousins who would always bring Bubba Cola to stuff. And Bubba Cola just tastes awful. It's like if Pepsi was, like, left out in, the, you know, the road for, like, a millennia and then stomped on by a dead bird. I'm just kidding. But it, like, it, it's just, it's a knockoff soda that's not good. It's just a bad impersonation. It's, it's just not good at all. But it's a 12-ounce can, and when you pour it, it looks like soda. You know what it's not? It's a nice Pepsi or Coke. It's not that. 
there are people who look, maybe even sound, maybe even we can see, they look like a believer. They look like someone who's following Christ. But the Bible warns us over and over and over again about knowing them by their fruit. And it does not taste the same. It's not the same thing. It's an impersonation. We saw in the readings this morning about those that would do the work in the flesh. And if you remember in Matthew 7, Jesus looks at them and says, Depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Another translation of that is you evildoer. You see how it's all connected. God's word. He continues with this, um, you know, basically quick history of Paul. Did you guys catch that? Which starts talking about himself, right? I, I, this is the case study, right? This isn't a principle, but he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Why, why is he saying that? He's saying, we, my family, we followed all the rules, okay? I, I, we, we did everything. Went to every bar mitzvah. I mean, we did, did it all. Like, we were locked in. Then he says, I'm an Israelite, tribe of Benjamin. Now, the cool thing about that is, he's saying that of the tribes of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, who, I mean, that's a pretty exclusive tribe. Comparatively speaking, we're a pretty sweet tribe. Okay, if you're going to say you were from a tribe of Israel, Judah, Benjamin, those are the king tribes, right? So, I'm an awesome Israelite. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Meaning, look back in my bloodline, all the way back. There's not a single person who's not a Jewish person. I'm a Hebrew, I'm Israelite. Oh, look at me. Look at this. You're talking about the flesh, right? That's the point. That's the point you guys are making. Look at all of my flesh attributes, Paul's saying. I'm a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee within the law. That means that of the different groups of the Jewish leadership, I was the strictest of the strict. Okay? Think I had an Encyclopedia Britannica of the Bible in my head. I knew it all, and I followed it to a T. I was incredibly strict. Zealous? So zealous. I did all the stuff. I was a persecutor of the church. Come on. You couldn't look at me and see anything but a zealot. And when it comes to the law, completely blameless. I followed the law to a T my entire life. Whenever I needed to atone, I atoned. Whenever I needed to offer sacrifice, offered sacrifice. Me and God, in terms of the flesh, I got this. Do you want to compare fleshly pursuits? Look at my resume, Paul's saying. He's the Fonzie, man. He's the Fonz. He's the man. No one can stack up to Paul's resume. He's saying, seriously, if we want to go by flesh, if we want to say you have to do to be saved, look at my resume, and I still need the blood of Jesus. That's his point. Look at my resume. Look at everything I've done. Look at every advantage I had in my life. Look at my birth. Look at all of it, and I still need the blood of Christ. I still need it. So don't come at me with an argument of flesh, of needing to do another thing that makes you saved. Don't do it. Because I'm the perfect picture, and I still need Christ. He continues on with that idea in verses 7 through 9, when he says, But whatever gain I had, 
I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Everything is worthless in comparison to knowing Christ. That's his point. That's what he's saying here. I'm sure you've heard this verse before. He's saying, everything in my life, when stacked up against Jesus, is worthless. I found value in it, but in stacked up to knowing Christ, the knowledge of God, and what he has done, it's meaningless. It's worthless. He takes stock of it all. He put all of those things in the L column. All of it was lost. None of it was a win. Do you guys remember the story when in Acts when Paul is set in sail and there's the rough seas and the storm hits? What do the guys do with the cargo on the ship? They throw it overboard. Okay, Jonah. Jonah's on the boat and storm happens. What do they do with the cargo? They throw it all over the boat. Why? What's that? They don't sink. Okay, but that cargo is valuable. Oh. You see the point he's making? He's saying that all of this stuff is valuable. But when stacked up against my life, which is what God has given me, I throw it overboard in a second. I throw it all overboard in a second. It's done. I give it all up. Everything is in the L column in comparison to knowing God. Are we as a body going to be united in our knowledge of God? Because that's what he's calling us to. Paul understood it, and he was trying to articulate it to them. And he's saying, all of these things, all of this stuff I've shown you, all of it is worthless. The word rubbish he uses, it means what you think. He's talking about that, yeah, number two. Right? He really, I mean, seriously, he continues, like, another translation of that word is actually the entrails of an animal after it's been butchered and you've taken everything from it. The only thing that's left on the table is the bloody mess. He says, I counted as rubbish in comparison to the life that God has given me. He saved me. How, how's that stacking up in our own lives? How are we doing with that? Because I can tell you for myself, there are plenty of things in my life I really like. And I struggle all the time with keeping God first in my life. And keeping that perspective of saying all things are lost compared to what he has taught me. To him saving my life. He closes with verse 9 through verse 11. I call this the vital principle. The central idea of the gospel is Christ, what he did and what he will do. Your understanding of that frames everything. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul draws it back to the key issue, the false teachings, and he deals with it once again of saying, 
I want a righteousness that's not of my own, a righteousness that is Christ. That's the only thing that is worth it. Any righteousness of my own is the law. And remember, atonement is over. God has atoned for your sins. As a Gentile believer, I'm called to then follow God, but atonement, I'm now connected to Christ. He has paid for all of my sins. He says his primary goal is to know Christ and grow in his relationship with him. That's what it's all about. You ever, you ever played Jenga? That's a weird random question. It's awesome. You ever played Jenga? Show of hands. Okay, cool. Jenga, if you're, if you're playing with people who know what they're doing, you can build that thing crazy tall, right? So the idea of Jenga, remember, you're pulling a piece and you're putting it on top. You're pulling a piece and you're putting it on top. And you're pulling a piece and you're putting it on top. And you're going and you're going and you're going. As you continue to go, it tends to get wobbly because we're, we're not, you know, we don't exactly lay it straight, right? What happens if you just pull that bottom corner piece out? Oh, you're done. Dishes are done. You're out, right? Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. He's the thing upon which our entire faith is built. And if you start to try to change what he has done, if you start to pervert that and change it, it's all meaningless. It's nothing. It's all what Christ has done, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his promised return. What Jesus is, it's the vital thing. If you don't get that, you're flatlined. That's life. Without Christ, you're flatlined. And Paul closes by saying, all I want is a righteousness that comes from him, not a righteousness of my own. So please hear me. It's not your righteousness. It's Christ. So closing it up, obedience and action. With Philippians 3 through 11, how are we going to show that unity with one another this week? Are we going to rejoice with someone in Christ within the body? Somebody give me an idea. How would you do that this week? One another remember someone in the body. How are you going to rejoice with someone in Christ this week? Yes, ma'am. That's awesome. So, so how do we as a body rejoice with you with that? <laughs> oh, that's okay, Miss Nancy. No, 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 that's cool. That, no, we appreciate you that. But, but we, we as a body, right? Okay, how do we do that? How, how do you rejoice with one another? We talked about ways in which we as a body rejoice. What's that? Calling one another, share, sharing what's going on with one another. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's celebrating with one another. That, that's exactly right. Nice job. Okay, so what's that? Yeah, moving stuff into Robbie's house. Yeah, nicely done, sir. Okay, so be on the lookout for those that would look to divide or hurt the body, right? That's something we can do. Like, seriously, be on the lookout for that stuff. And keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is Christ. He is the main thing. He's the most important. So now in our community, okay, find your joy from Christ, not your surroundings. The people in your surroundings will notice. In your workplace, 
When your joy is attached to how your work is going, people notice. When your joy is attached to the God you serve, and when things don't always go perfectly, people can look to you and say, hey, okay, so how come you don't have a problem with this? Opens up a conversation. Also, recognize false ideas from those you see and engage in them in love. When someone talks about something spiritual, ask them about it. Have a conversation. If someone has an idea that's not true, right, maybe they just think Jesus is a pretty cool teacher, ask them about it. Actually communicate with our community, right? Reach out to them in love and talk to them. It's not about that moment going, well, you need Jesus. That's what they expect. If you Just engage with people. Keep the main thing the main thing, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And finally, what on earth does that have to do with this? Do the bags fit that criteria? We've got to check ourselves. Are we keeping God the main thing? Are we engaging with people? We've learned in Thessalonians, or does our heart pass that test, right? As we go out in our community, and we unify unity, right? Be vigilant in our unity. You guys are doing great. Last point, big idea. Unity in the knowledge of Christ requires vigilance by the body. Now, remember, being together in the knowledge of God, and keeping a lookout for the things that would divert us from the knowledge of who Jesus is. Let's join together. Join the body. Let's get on board. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.